We stand this morning in awe of His presence. For He is our holy God. He is the one we put our trust. He is the one in which we find confidence. He is our rock. He is our salvation. Today we continue a study called Great Expectations. It's a series that we're going through. Today we're looking at Joshua. It's actually our second day to look at Joshua. Next week we'll look at the life of Abraham. Then after Abraham we'll look at Moses. Then after Moses we'll look at Esther and then Daniel. In this series entitled Great Expectations. You see, nobody goes into life desiring mediocrity. Nobody desires a mediocre marriage or just a pay-the-bill kind of a job. No, with every single beat of our heart, we desire so much more. We desire that our life count for something. We search for significance. So we say things like, someday I'm going to be spiritually fit. Someday I'm going to get financially fit. Someday my life is going to account for something great. Yet every opportunity has an expiration date. And today is the day of salvation. Today is that someday. You see, the cost of missing out can be greater than the cost of messing up. The opportunity of a lifetime has to be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. Last week we talked about how humility leads to integrity and integrity leads to courage. Joshua is encouraged by God. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Be strong and courageous. He was a faithful servant of the Lord. He humbled himself before the Almighty in humility when we acknowledge that he is God and we are not. As we are obedient to his truth, as we are obedient to his word, we grow in integrity. And as integrity grows in us, we grow in courage. So humility leads to integrity, and integrity leads to courage. So how do we grow in integrity, we asked last week. Well, the person of integrity is a person of truth. Someone who seeks God through the study of his word, through the leading of his Holy Spirit, who allows the truth to so permeate their lives that they walk in the light that God gives to them. In our story today, we find the children of Israel who are about to enter into the promised land. For 500 years now, they had been waiting for this moment to seize all that God had for them. It's hard for us to wait, isn't it? Waiting is a difficult thing. I remember being a child and and my father saying to me, when we get in an hour... When I get home, we'll go ice skating. I remember waiting, wondering how long is an hour. I was probably seven or eight years of age, and and I had out my ice skates, and I couldn't wait to go to the Shawnee Lagoon to go skating at the pond. And, And we'd gone several times before, and when Dad got home, we would go skating. I remember going back into the house and asking Mom, Mom, when is Dad going to get here? And Five minutes later, going back to the house, Mom, when is Dad coming? Just waiting, anticipating his coming. Finally, he arrived, and we went skating. As a child, it's hard for us to wait. How much farther, we would ask. We pull up to a stoplight. We're behind somebody, and they're on their cell phone. The light turns green. 
and they're paying no attention. And we wait, and we wait until they finish their conversation so they can drive the car. <laughs> it's, it's hard for us to wait. Well, the people of Israel for 500 years have been waiting for this moment. God told Abraham that he would give his heirs the promised land. And Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. And Isaac had a son whose name was Jacob. And God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And Israel had 12 sons. And they became the 12 tribes of Israel. And they entered into slavery in Egypt. And for 400 years they were in bondage in Egypt. Then God sends Moses in this story to free the people of Israel. Very quickly, Moses leads them to the promised land. And he sends in 12 spies into, those, into the promised land. And they came back and they had amazing stories to tell about this land that God had promised to them. It is a land filled with milk and honey. You won't believe it. It's incredible all that God has for us in this promised land. It's amazing what God has for us. It's unreal. You won't believe all that's there. But then they started to say, the ten, but this challenge is too big for us. They're too strong. They're too mighty. We can't take them. They have more weapons than we have. They have horses and chariots. We are severely outnumbered. We, we can't take this promised land. And the ten spies caused the people of Israel to become so afraid that they rebelled against God and they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. And there are only two spies then who stood up. And, of course, you know them, Caleb and Joshua, who said, We can do this as God has been with us in the past. He will be with us in the future. He will lead us into the promised land. We can do this with God's help. With God's help, we will prevail. Well, on that day, Moses and the rest of the Israelites sided with the ten, and fear won out on that day. So the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. Today, I want us to go a little deeper in this story, of the story of Joshua. Looking at Joshua's life, you see, Joshua was an incredible guy, a man of faith. He was an Israelite born in Egypt during the time of slavery. He was there when Moses led them out of captivity. He was there and he witnessed the pillar of fire that led them by night and the, cloud of, uh, the pillar of cloud that led them by day. He was there when they crossed the Red Sea. Joshua was there when they ate the manna. He was there when Moses struck the rock with his, with his staff and the water came out from the rock. He was there in Exodus chapter 17 when the Amalekites came and came up against the Israelites and started to attack them. And Moses chose Joshua to choose some men to fight for them. And so Joshua chose some men to fight for them. And as long as Moses held up his arms, they won in the battle. Over time, Joshua began to rise in prominence, and eventually he became Moses' assistant, which was really a big deal. You see, there were 12 tribes there are a lot of people who could have been chosen to be Moses' assistant. But it was Joshua who over time and over through faithfulness, growing in humility and integrity and courage, that Moses took with him up to the mountain when he received the Ten Commandments. 
At long last, 500 years of waiting, the children of Israel were now about to enter into the promised land. And it was Joshua that God called upon to lead them across the Jordan. So Joshua leads the people to cross the Jordan River. Now Joshua tells the priests to go ahead of the people and to take the Ark of the Covenant. So these priests, they take the Ark of the Covenant. And you know what the Ark of the Covenant is. It held the Ten Commandments. It had two cherubims that stretched their arms out across it on top of the mercy seat that covered the Ark of the Covenant. And inside that Ark of the Covenant, there was manna reminding the people of how God had provided for them in the wilderness. There was also the Ten Commandments. And these, these priests would carry this Ark into the water. And when they stepped into the water, the water would stop. And this was a big deal. Now, if you've been to the Jordan River, you might say, well, that's not a big deal. I've been to the Jordan River. It's not that big. At parts of the river, it's only 20 feet wide. And the deepest part of the river is only 17 feet deep. It's really quite a shallow, shallow river. But you have to understand what was going on at this time. Look at Joshua chapter 3, verse 15. You see, this was a very inconvenient time for God to do a very miraculous thing in the midst in, for the Israelite people. Joshua chapter 3, verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. You see, you have to understand the Jordan was at flood stage. In those days, during the time of barley harvest, which was March or April, the Jordan River was, would sometimes be as wide as a mile wide and as deep as 10 to 20 feet above its normal level. Why did this occur? Well, for two reasons. One, in January and February, Israel would always experience and still does experience a rainy season. And the rains would come down and and fill the area. And Mount Hermon, the tallest mountain in Israel at 10,000 feet, would be filled with snow and covered with snow. And in the spring, this would all begin to melt and would begin to make its way down, flowing through the Sea of Galilee into the Jordan River and onto the Dead Sea. And so at this time, it was an inconvenient time to cross the Jordan because the river was wide. The task was bigger than them. And yet we have learned through the study of God's Word that the big moves of God are almost always preceded by obedience. You see, when the Israelite priests stepped into the water, it took an act of faith for them to step in the water for that water to stop. God has provided for you and for me all the resources we need to accomplish all that God has for us. But we must step in the water. We must take that act of faith. We must be obedient to His call. We must grow in humility. You see, when we grow in humility, when we acknowledge that He is God and we are not, we grow in integrity. As we are obedient to His truth, as we are obedient to His word, we grow in integrity. And as we grow in integrity, we grow in courage. You see, courage is the, is the ability to do the right thing even when you don't want to. Courage is the ability to take a stand for that which is right and holy and just, even when you don't feel like it. Courage is being the better man or the better woman. 
courage is apologizing, even when you feel like you have not wronged someone. Courage is offering grace and mercy to a world that does not deserve grace and mercy. How do we have that kind of courage? We step into the water. We realize that we cannot do this in our own strength. We cannot do this in our own power. We cannot stand firm in our faith in our own abilities. But when we humble ourselves before an almighty and a holy God and we acknowledge that He is God and we are not, we grow in integrity. As we grow in integrity, we grow in courage. Preach it, brother. Today I want to encourage you to step into the water. To be a man and a woman of faith. To man up. To woman up. To be the person of God that God has called you to be. To make no excuses. To live a life of faith. To realize that God has given you all that you need. For life and godliness. Now this is important. Because God wants to move in your life in a mighty way. He wants to save your marriage. He wants to save your relationships. He wants to do miraculous things in your life. He wants to take charge of your finances and help you to become the man and the woman that He has created you to be. He wants you to live beyond a life of mediocrity and to live a life of excellence as you surrender to Him. God really wants to do big things in your life. But that only happens as we're obedient to His truth, as we live out our faith day in and day out, and we say yes to Him, and we're obedient to Him in the little things. And as we're obedient to Him in the little things, He guides us into all truth. So today I want to encourage you to step into the water, to make that appointment for marital counseling, to, to attend that love and respect session to, on Sunday nights, to, to get your finances in order, and put God first, to make Him number one priority in your life, to attend a financial peace, to come to a Wednesday night prayer meeting or a Bible study, spend time on your knees in, knees in, in the Word, and spend time on your knees in prayer. Put God first in all things. As they cross the Jordan River, Joshua sends two spies, Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, to check out Jericho. And the two spies get into Jericho and they are discovered and so they begin to hide. And they find this house and it's, it's owned by a prostitute. Her name is Rahab and, and she's hiding them for the night and they're upstairs on the roof and they're getting ready for bed and she has this exchange with them. I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. You see, the word had gotten out. The God of Israel the same God who delivered the Israelites out of their bondage in Egypt, who separated the Red Sea, who provided for them the wilderness with the manna and the water, 
This same God was enabling them now to cross the Jordan River, and they are there just outside of Jericho. And fear began to go through the camp. And Jericho is this great walled city, and all the people had moved inside of the city. Then God gives this crazy instructions to Joshua. And we find these instructions in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. God says to Joshua, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to gather the men and, and march around the city one time for six days. I want you to gather up the priests and have seven priests go before them carrying trump ram's horns. And they are to carry the Ark of the Covenant leading the people. You see, in the Jordan, the priests stood in the Jordan and they were to see the Ark of the Covenant because they were not to look at a man, but they were to look at God. You see, the purpose of the church is not to hold up a man, but to point to God. You see, our focus should not be on individuals, but should be on the Lord. And we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Throughout this story, you will see the Ark of the Covenant going before them. The Ark of the Covenant symbolized God's presence with them. And their focus was on God. For God was their deliverer. God was their hope. God would be their strength. So God gives them this instructions. They were crazy. Walk around the city six times. And on the seventh time, I want the priest to lead the people around and, and then they're to blow the horn on the seventh time, the ram's horns. And then you're to shout. And they shouted and the city walls collapsed. And this is really a big deal because in the ancient city of Jericho, this is a walled city. The outer part of that wall was 6 feet wide and 20 feet tall. The interior part of the wall was about 15 feet from the front wall, and it was 12 feet wide and 30 feet tall. I did some studying last night on, on, uh, on some of the archaeology, some of the study of the walls of Jericho, and, and they found that this area that they believed to be the walls of Jericho, that on the northern part there was a section of the wall that did not crumble and fall. And they believed that that was the prostitute Rahab's house. It was on the outer part of the northern part of the wall. And like the other parts, it did not. What was so unique about this find was there was so much grain. They believed there was enough grain there for them to, to be able to stand against the siege for up to a year, maybe even two years. And the grain was not taken. Because Israelite was instructed not to take the plunder. All that was there was to be for the Lord. But in this story we find Achan, he stole some of the plunder. In chapter 7, we find that Achan, is, uh, his disobedience is revealed in chapter 7. Let's look at chapter 7, verse 21. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold, weighing 50 shekels. Achan took it, and he hid it. Well, what had happened, because he disobeyed God, when they went up against their next battle, we find this next battle against 
Ai, uh, it failed. You see, in Joshua chapter 7, verse 2, Joshua sends men into Jericho. He sends some spies ahead of them to, to check out Ai. Ai is their next city that they're going to overtake, and they send the spies out, and the spies come back with this report. There's really not that much to it. We ought to be able to take it pretty easy. And, and so just send two or 3,000 men and, and take over the city and let everybody else have a rest. So they did that. They kind of sent in the second stream, second team. I don't know what stream means. Second team. And uh, the A team, the B team. Well, they went in to attack AI, and, and of course they were routed. And they were routed because of their disobedience, because of Achan's sin. You see, Achan had taken part of the plunder that was God instructed them that they were not to take. And he took it for himself. And because of that, they were not successful in their attack against Ai. And let's look at, at verse 9, 7-9, their response Joshua's response is this, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. You see, they began to become very fearful, the Israelites. They began to become very fearful of all the, all the nations that had surrounded them when they heard that, that we were beat by Ai. They will come and surely kill us. And they became very fearful. In our study, we're learning that humility leads to integrity, and integrity leads to courage. Humility is acknowledging that God is God and we are not. Integrity is being obedient to the truth. But what happens when we're disobedient? We don't grow in courage. We grow in fear. That was the case when they sinned against God, when Achan took this plunder that was not his to take. Thirty-six men were killed that day because of one man's disobedience. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stand up, man up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have violated my covenant, which I commanded them. And so they dealt with Achan's sin. Harshly, and you can find that in chapter 8, chapter 7 and 8. Now in chapter 7, chapter 9, the Gibeonites deceived Israel. I know there's a lot of scripture and a lot of text for this story, but I want you to know Joshua's story. The, the Gibeonites, uh, they were afraid. They had heard what had happened as they crossed the Jordan River and how God had provided a miracle and allowed all these people to cross on dry ground. They had heard what had happened to Jericho and how the great fortress and the walls had fallen and how they had taken over Ai. And they were afraid for themselves, and so the Gibeonites made a treaty with the people of Israel. But they were deceptive in it. They, they put on old clothes and they put on old shoes like they'd come from a long distance. And, and they grabbed up a whole bunch of old moldy bread that was dry and nasty. And threw it in sacks. And they had wine skins that were just old and cracked. And, and they filled those up. And they went and 
And the Israelites sampled the wine and they sampled the bread and, and, and they made the argument that they were from a long distance. They wanted to, they'd heard of all that had happened and they wanted to make a treaty with them. The Israelites even said, well, how do we know that you're from a long way away? And they convinced them. Now I want you to look at Joshua chapter 9, verse 14. It says, The men of Israel sampled their provisions, but they did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them and let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Through this series of great expectations, there's a quote from, uh, that I've been giving each week. The opportunity of a lifetime has to be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. But we have to be careful to inquire of the Lord. Now, there's some things that are obvious in life. We've been given a green light. You see, we've all been called to, to serve one another. We've all been called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We've all been instructed to go and make disciples. We've all been instructed, commanded to love God and our neighbors ourselves. We've already been given a green light. But we need to always inquire of the Lord. We need to not be careful not to get ahead of God in these things. Well, when... The five Amorite armies heard about the plans that Gideon, the treaty that Gibeon had made with the Israelites. They became very mad at the Gibeonites. And so they thought they would punish them. And so the five Amalekite armies came down to attack Gibeon. And as they're coming down to attack Gibeon, Gibeon comes to Israel and says, They're coming against us to take us. Because we have made a treaty with you. And Israel stands for Gibeon because of their word. Now Joshua does something that is really unusual. He decides as they're coming that he would plan a surprise attack. He orchestrated a surprise attack by having his troops march all night long. And to meet these five, these five kings, these five armies... That next morning, Joshua 10.8, the scripture says, God says to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hands. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. So the Israelites surprised, uh, launched this surprise attack. In fact, the Amorites started to retreat because the, the fight was going so well. And they began to pursue them. And it was getting dark. It had been all day long. And now it was getting dark and most of us would come to this place and say, we've done all that we could do. And they're escaping. And they're getting away. And you have to understand, this is a bad thing. Because God had given them into their hands. But if they get away, and if they re regroup, they've outnumbered the Israelites. The only reason the Israelites are winning in this battle is because it was a surprise attack and because God was with them. And so Joshua prays the most unusual prayer in all of Scripture. It's found in Joshua chapter 10, verse 12. You see, it was getting dark. Most of us would say, we've done everything that we can do. 
We've used all of our resources, all of our options. We've exhausted every option. We've tried everything. But not Joshua. He offers this most amazing prayer. Joshua chapter 10, verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel. It's interesting. He prayed this in the presence of Israel. O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Abijan. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. Joshua prayed this outlandish, crazy prayer. Sun, stand still. And God caused the sun to stand still. My question for you this morning is this. What is your son's standstill prayer? A prayer that is so big, so crazy, that it would take an act of God. So beyond your ability, so beyond your giftedness, that it would have to be God to to bring about this miracle that you are praying for. What is your son's standstill prayer? What is it in your life that you desperately seek to have God move in a mighty way for you? Maybe your prayer is, I want you to ask, I want to ask you, Lord, to heal my marriage. I know it's messed up. I know that I don't know if he could ever love me again. I don't know if I could ever love him. I don't know if we could ever change. But, Lord, if it's going to happen, it's going to be because of a miracle from you. Maybe you've been praying for a loved one like Rebecca Smith or an aunt. It seemed like it was impossible that she would ever be sensitive to the voice of God. And and yet the Lord is leading you and you're praying this sun stand still prayer on somebody else's behalf. Maybe you're praying for someone who's addicted to drugs or prescription medication, and it seems so overwhelming to you, but you're praying this sun stand still kind of a prayer. Someone who's dealing with pornography, someone who's praying for restoration in their family, in their home, Lord, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what to do. And you pray this sun stand still kind of a prayer. Maybe you're praying for the birth of a child. Lord, would you give us a child? Maybe, like myself, over the years you've prayed for the sanctity of life. And you've prayed, Lord, forgive our nation for treating life so indifferently. Help us as a nation to place a higher value on life. And you've prayed this prayer, but you've not believed. You see, I've prayed this prayer, but I, I often pray it knowing that there is no way in the world that we're going to reverse Roe versus Wade. And I almost give up in the political environment in which we live. And yet we continue to pray. And this year, in May, Mitch Daniels signed into law cutting two-thirds of the funding to Planned Parenthood of Indiana. The law requires a doctor to tell women that life begins at fertilization. You see, we give up sometimes, but God wants to use our prayers to make a difference in our world. What is your son stand still prayer? Many of us years ago prayed that the Lord would enable us, empower us to plant another church. 
It was a part of Jerry Stipp's dream. It was a part of what we felt God had laid upon our hearts. But for one reason or another, we put that plan aside for a season. But on many of our hearts, that plan still grew and we prayed that God would provide us an opportunity. And along came Javier to Net Mondragon. The Lord answered our prayers. What is your son's standstill prayer? God is using Javier and Annette to do wonderful things at our Grace Point South Campus. And lives are being touched because of an answer to prayer. Right now we're organizing a, a, four, a 503C group called Bridge of Grace, which will be a part of the Grace Point ministry. They are now considered a compassionate ministry center. The mission statement of Bridge of Grace is this, to break the, the cycle of poverty by engaging and empowering the community to cultivate healthy children, strong families, and vibrant neighborhoods through Christ-centered approaches that meet the spiritual and physical and emotional and academic needs of our neighbors. Do you have the courage to pray, God, help us to make a real difference in our world. Those of you who are involved in hands-on homework, those of you who teach Sunday school, those of you who actively have a ministry of one way or another in the church, you're an active minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to make a difference. What is your son's standstill prayer? You see, what seems impossible to me is not even remotely difficult. For God. Does that mean that God will always answer our prayer? Well, no. Sometimes we pray these outlandish prayers and, and it doesn't seem like God answers it. But I want to tell you something. I've never regretted praying that prayer. Trusting God for the future that He has for us. What is your prayer? I've asked Pastor Edgar to come. And he's going to lead us in a song. And my question for you this morning is this. What is your prayer? It may be that uh, you've just made a mess of your life. And today you want to say, I want to grow in humility. I want to acknowledge that He is God and I am not. And I surrender my life to Him. That's my son's standstill prayer to the Lord today. Change me. Mold me and shape me into the person that you created me to be. It may be that you just want to pray for a loved one. They seem too distant, too estranged from God. You don't see how it's possible that they might be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And you want to pray for them this morning. Lord, I pray this sun stand still prayer for my brother, my sister. Maybe your marriage needs healing. Your family relationships need restored. What is your prayer this morning? We're going to stand and we're going to open the altar. And if God speaks to you, you're welcome to come. Let's stand and sing together.